This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. By observing how multiple stock prices move over a long period of time, one can get very interesting investment insights. Our emerging market equity strategy team observed the price movement of 1,700 stocks over the past two decades and came with some very interesting investment significant conclusions. So in today's episode, I, Sambuddha Ray, Global Product Manager for UBS Investment Banking Research, I'm delighted to be joined by Sunil Tirumalai, our Chief Equity Strategist for Emerging Markets, and we aim to provide you a high-level look at the concept of how clustering or grouping of stocks in emerging market equity markets work and why it should matter to investors. Sunil, welcome. Let's take a step back. Tell us a little bit about why did you want to explore this concept and specifically, what was the problem you were trying to solve here? Thank you, Sambuddha. Uh, good to be here on this podcast. So I think the origin of this uh, idea or the problem statement came into my mind when I moved from being a stock and sector analyst to a strategist. Now, human investors like you and me, we like to group stocks into sectors by looking at characteristics like what is the business of the company, the kind of products or services it sells, and so on. But my observation was that stocks from the same sector sometimes behave very differently, and often stocks from different sectors behave similar. And when I say behave, I'm talking about stock prices going up and down on similar days. Now, the question was, is it possible that the market looks at a different way of grouping stocks than how we as human investors group stocks as sectors? I think the top level notion behind this is that the world throws a series of stimuli at the market and the market responds by moving specific stocks in response. Now, these stimuli could be events in the world like company earnings, um, some regulatory changes, in recent years, wars, big commodity price moves, etc. So on a particular day, some event happens in the world, a bunch of stocks move. The next day, some other big event happens and a different set of stocks move. Now, if a certain set of stocks move in a highly correlated manner over a long period of time, that means that they are probably reacting to the same stimuli and hence could be connected to each other in some fundamental way. So the idea here is just to observe stock price correlations over a long period of time and then understand how the market groups stocks. Based on our search for the right tools, we realized that uh, machine learning clustering is the answer to this. And that's what our analysis was based on. Um, I think for me, the problem statement, the way I defined it, which helped me really in terms of guiding me through this work, was if I were to build a research team, let's say a buy-side or a sell-side research team, how many analysts should I have and what should each analyst cover? That's very interesting. So what you're saying is just to go back to the earlier point that you know, even though in the traditional sense, there are clear definitions of sectors, and as you, as you were saying that stocks are assigned to them, the reality is that for various fundamental factors, stock prices from different sectors may exhibit high degree of correlations for a prolonged period of time. And that is something that we should be aware of. 
Okay, so help us understand in very simple terms. You mentioned about machine learning. Um, so what was your exact approach? And as in, how were you able to observe or measure these relationships that you were talking about? Yeah, sure. So while the tool is a kind of machine learning, it's actually quite straightforward and intuitive. So remember, we are trying to find groups of stocks that move together. Now let's see a simple step-by-step -step process. Let's say you start with 100 stocks. That's our universe of stocks. Mm -hmm. And we call each stock as a cluster. And so we start with, so we start with 100 clusters. Then we see among these 100 stocks, we observe which pair of stocks has the highest correlation between them. We combine them at that stage into a single cluster. And now we have 99 clusters. We repeat this. So the next step, again, we check for the cluster pair among the 99, which have the highest correlation, group them into a new cluster, and we land with 98 clusters and so on. We proceed till we are left with just two clusters. And finally, these two merge into one cluster. And at this stage, the entire market that we started with has collapsed into that one big cluster. Now, what is of interest to us, of course, is the order in which the stocks got grouped into ever bigger clusters plus some additional interesting data points that the algorithm throws out. Got it. That's that's interesting. So in, in, can you give us some uh, some of the most interesting observations or learnings that came out from this work as you narrow down into the clusters? Yeah, sure. So I think um, uh, I would go back to the problem statement that I mentioned, right, which is if I were to build a research team, you know, what would each analyst look at. The other problem statement, which also can be very helpful, is as a portfolio manager, how do you look at the market and how do you build the market? Now, let me walk through some of these very interesting observations that we got. And you know, you can actually think through how they fit into the fourth problem statement that I mentioned. Now, even before getting into the clustering analysis itself, just purely based on observing correlations, we could make quite a few interesting observations, right? Now, what we find is that on an average, the correlations within developed markets are much more than correlations within emerging markets. Now, what that tells me is that in developed markets, there are a lot more top-down forces at play because stocks tend to move a lot more together than in emerging markets. So between developed markets and emerging markets, you need a lot more top-down study for developed markets and a lot more bottom-up stock picking within emerging markets. And of course, our report grades the emerging markets further as to which are the kind of markets uh, you know, which require top-down and which kind of markets require you know, bottom-up. So we found that markets like uh, China, Taiwan, India are best suited for a top-down study, whereas uh, markets like Indonesia are very bottom-up stock-specific and stock-selection uh, kind of markets. Similarly, we try to see do markets think in terms of countries or sectors? The result was fairly clear. Uh, the country relationships matter a lot more than sector relationships. So if I were to build a research team, they would generally study countries, except for one sector, which is tech. So EM tech actually cuts across geographical boundaries and the stocks tend to move uh, a lot together. So in that research team, I will definitely have one tech analyst. So I think that's how you know I, I would approach the problem statement. 
Um, now actually getting into the realm of uh, clustering and machine learning. Now, if I look at global markets as a universe, uh, uh, I'm now looking at you know all the markets which are part of the all country world index. Very surprisingly, we found that the groupings are not on a DM versus EM basis. It was more on an East versus West basis. So again, the uh, markets in the Eastern Hemisphere and the ones in the Western Hemisphere move you know, together amongst themselves. And if you want to build a global team, it probably you know, makes sense to build it on a geographical basis this way, because uh, that way the analyst who's covering uh, these, is his, his, his efforts are much more optimized. Right. Um, within again, working with the all the 48 to 50 markets that are there in the uh, all country world index, the two most correlated markets over the last 15 years have been France and Germany. Right. Uh, uh, people in the emerging markets part of the world would uh, swear by Hong Kong, China or Korea, Taiwan being the most correlated. But actually, on a global basis, France and Germany are actually the most correlated, of course, followed by Hong Kong, China and Korea, Taiwan. Now. Another interesting observation, right, was that within APAC, the true diversification to North Asia has been not from India, as is popularly perceived, but from the ASEAN markets. Now, on multiple attempts to cluster, uh, you know, uh, in different ways, uh, I think one interesting result that stood out within the emerging market space was that Mexico and South Africa they happen to be very close to each other. I mean, they've, they've demonstrated, you know, good correlation, which kind of cuts across geographical boundaries, sectoral, you know, relationships, etc. So sometimes, you know, you just take the results as what the market is telling you. It may not always be possible to explain logically, at least given our current limitations of, you know, of the knowledge of how the world works, right? So the market knows more than what each of us individually can comprehend. So this was a very interesting, uh, you know, insight at a, at, at a country level. That is, Mexico and South Africa happen to be, you know, uh, fairly correlated with each other. When we next moved into stock level clustering, right? So what you mentioned about 1,700 uh, EM stocks. Now, a very quick conclusion was that most often the clusters are on country lines, but for one very peculiar exception. Now, most China stocks were grouped together, but there was this whole bunch of Chinese internet and consumption stocks, which actually were more closely related to Korean stocks and they were part of the Korean cluster than the China cluster itself, right? And it's 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 very interesting, you know, to 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 keep these kind of uh, non-intuitive relationships in mind, uh, right? Because it 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 actually has a lot of uh, bearing on how you build portfolios. Um, and yeah, and finally, you know, our report actually does this clustering on within each market, right? We have taken about 100 to 200 stocks, depending on the size of the market, of course. Uh, you know, we need to look at, uh, we, we've done uh, uh, the clustering on each of these markets. And, you know, some common observations across markets. Um, in some markets, the large blue chip foreign owned stocks generally tend to get clustered together, right? Um, mm -hmm. Probably intuitive. I mean, these are the stocks where the correlations come out because of flows, whenever foreign investors are buying or selling, these stocks generally tend to move uh, with each other, uh, but they do cut across sectoral lines. So the sector names actually don't matter in those cases. In many markets, we found SOE stocks are uh, you know clustered together, right? So again, cutting across sectoral lines, 
uh, in most markets, wherever there are a decent number of SOEs, they generally tend to get clustered together. Looking at individual markets, I think I'll just highlight a few uh, interesting um, you know, observations. There are a lot more in the report. Um, in China, the largest market within uh, you know, emerging markets uh, universe, uh, you know, very interesting to find airlines and real estate stocks move together, right? And if, if, I, if I were to have a team of 12 analysts, uh, you know, the, there should be one analyst who's who covering both airlines and real estate because there's something that's really connecting, you know, those, those two stocks. Or if you're running a portfolio, uh, you need to be aware of the fact that there is a fair amount of leakage between these two sectors, which otherwise seem completely unrelated. Um, similarly, uh, in China, we found that all uh, uh, stocks that have anything to do with solar or EV or battery all move together, right? We could give it the best description we could give to that cluster was new energy. But yeah, there is that, you know, a very interesting cluster that we found. In Korea, um, we found that EV and battery material stocks move a lot more in tandem with the semi stocks and not the auto sector, right? Again, it, 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 it's very non-intuitive and the general way of thinking about it is that, you know, uh, auto sector uh, should include, you know, uh, understanding of EV and battery materials, but the market seems to be thinking very different. In India, a very a fairly tight cluster of chemical stocks and consumer names across alcohol, beverages, jewelry. I mean, as an India uh, uh, strategist as well, it was difficult to actually uh, logically explain why this happened, but that's how the market has behaved. And I think finally, not too surprising, but in South Africa, we found a lot of the export or overseas dependent stocks uh, grouped together. Maybe they are, uh, you know, getting uh, clubbed together because of exchange rate, uh, you know, reasons. Um, yes, I think in the interest of time, I'm trying to hold myself, but there are a lot more like these that, that we see in the report. Wow, I mean, some of the examples you cited are really eye-opening and uh, and quite counterintuitive, counter right? So in the report, you're saying you have not only demonstrated the quantitative you know, relationships, but you've also kind of explained or given a fundamental explanations to, that, to those relationships, right? Yes, that's right, that's right. All right, so now we understand the construct. We also have some of the examples, the observations that you cited. Tell us how can we use this work as an investor? Walk us through some of the use cases you're talking about here. Yes, so there are actually quite a few use cases, you know, uh, that we did find, and you know, actually some of them came uh, came about when we were engaging with our investors, you know, with this work as well. I think the uh, uh, the most uh, popular and uh, very relevant to most uh, uh, most of our clients uh, is the one about identifying hidden concentration risks in, in in your portfolios, right? So it's kind of follows from the kind of examples that I've given. Uh, you know, there are stock groupings which are very counterintuitive. They cut across sectoral lines. If you're building your portfolio thinking on sectoral lines and you kind of believe that, you know, this sector you're not overweight or this sector you're kind of underweight but in reality they may you may actually be overweight or underweight big time on a particular cluster uh, without you being completely aware of it right so i gave you examples of uh, you know uh, how a, a bunch of chinese internet and consumer stocks are actually uh, closer to the korean cluster and if you are a em fund manager 
who has, and we've actually demonstrated, uh, you know, in, a, in, in an anonymized way, of course, uh, real world EM portfolios in a report where uh, the funds are mostly market or country neutral. But when we see on a cluster basis, there is a big overweight on the Scoria cluster because of, you know, the, these Chinese stocks being present over there. And, and we are not sure if the, the fund manager, uh, uh, you know, would have intentionally placed them there, or at least it is food for thought, uh, you know, to look at your portfolios in a different light. So that's about, you know, identifying hidden concentration risks. Um, this tool also helps us as either sell side or buy side uh, investors um, on where you focus your energies on, right? So there are parts of the market which require a top-down approach and parts of the market which require a bottom-up approach. The places where you need a top-down approach, uh, you know, of course, you need to be on top of the, the, the factors in the world that cut across all the stocks in that cluster and uh, not necessarily, you know, bother too much about each individual stock's idiosyncrasies. Whereas when you're looking at parts of the market which are very bottom-up and, and very low in correlation, uh, then of course, so so you need to understand each stock uh, because there probably is not much connecting them all in, in, in a common way, right? Um, we've actually extended this concept because this tool not only gave us what are the groups in the market, but also how tight or how loose each group is. So we could extend it to basically try and say, are there groups of stocks in the market that move so much in tandem that they almost behave like a single stock? And how do you deal with them as an investor, right? So let me explain this with the example of the four large Indian IT services companies which form a cluster in India. Our similar result was with the four or five large Korean retail stocks that were also clustered together, right? Um, I think it's interesting uh, for anybody to note that the bulk of the alpha generated by the best stock selected in each of these clusters, uh, you know, over, over a long period of time, let's say 10 years with, with one selection of a stock each year, bulk of the returns is actually captured at the cluster level, right? So, so in other way, in, in other words, if there were, you know, basically two investors who were, uh, you know, investing into these markets, one of them was a very heavy bottom-up uh, stock selector, whereas the second one is fairly a passive investor who just takes an equal weighted approach into the, into the cluster. If the first investor, you know, let's say delivered a 20% alpha by choosing the right stock each year with, you know, full uh, accuracy, the second investor is basically able to, uh, you know, get an alpha of about 12%, right? Uh, so that's the kind of tightness that these stocks uh, have, have, have delivered. This means that, you know, as far as tight clusters of large stocks and large number of stocks like these are concerned, the efforts of um, the investor probably need to be on the cluster level. Uh, take the, so, so the bulk of the alpha is actually being generated on, on whether you're going overweight or underweight that cluster, you know, in the context of your portfolio. The subsequent efforts going into choosing that particular stock is probably not adding, you know, that much more of alpha, right? So we have hundreds of examples of such clusters in all these markets. Um, I think finally, uh, again, these came up as a consequence of our discussions and feedback from investors. Um, very classic example. I mean, uh, India as a market is known to be fairly uh, expensive today. The question 
uh, that kept coming was that, I mean, we want to invest and get the exposure for India, but it's too expensive. Where else can we get a similar exposure? And, and it was very interesting, right? So if I look at which parts of emerging markets move closest to Indian banks, and that's Korean financials, uh, you know, Indian IT services, it's Taiwan Tech, uh, Indian cap goods, uh, uh, the closest uh, you know, replication of that return profile is in Indonesia banks, right? So I think overall, while some of these clustering results may be intuitive for an investor who's been following the market for a long period of time, for a novice or a investor who's coming fresh to a particular market, this can be a very handy tool, right? To basically leapfrog years of experience and get a good understanding of how the market is structured. So yes, I mean, I think I could go on, but uh, these were some of the top use cases that that we could work with. I think it's more than handy, Sunil. Thank you very much. But let me try to summarize what we learned today. Uh, firstly, there are several tightly clustered stocks, sectors, and country groups within the EM space. That's number one. Number two, investors should be aware of hidden concentration risks in the stock portfolios, even though it might appear to be well diversified in the most traditional sense, as Sunil was explaining. And thirdly, and perhaps uh, to me, what was the most important or interesting bit of this whole conversation, it seems like a key driver of potential alpha is a call on the clustered group rather than the call on an individual stock or sector, which is what Sunil referred to as uh, where to take a top-down versus a bottom-up approach. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. That was an introduction and overview of clustering in equity markets. This is with me, Sambudha Ray, Global Product Manager, and Sunil Tirumalai, Chief Equity Strategist for Emerging Markets at UBS. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries, and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation, nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2024. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.